0: Yeah, let's go live. Okay, so um, we're gonna sing this song, "Graves in the Gardens." Um, I feel like we should sing this song. Um, yeah, with God as a mighty warrior on our side, um, He's gonna He's gonna you know turn the things around um, and the places where we go to. So this applies to what we're doing as a as a body, and also um, I pray that this be for Houston, for Vernon, and, and beyond. So uh, let's sing this.
1: Check,
2: check, check. One of the hardest jobs uh, that, a, that a worship leader has is to try to take a song and connect it what, to the, what the preacher is going to preach. And so Tunie is doing his best. Uh, but um, he just felt strongly that this is a song that we need to sing. And so, don't know why, it might apply to Houston, and it might apply to different things. But sometimes we don't need to have a reason, eh? Yeah. If you sent something God is saying, then just do it, and then let's figure out how it fits. Yeah? yeah? yeah.
0: The world, it couldn't fill me. Man's and the praise, the treasures, the fame i never known. Let's sing it again. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's and the praise, the treasures, that fail. Never never enough. Enough. the, the, the faith. Para e And flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. You still call me friend, cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Nothing is better than you Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord There's nothing better than you, Lord There's nothing, nothing is better than you You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn mourning, you turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're. The Highways, You're the only one who can You turn graves. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're Nothing is better than
2: you. You're satisfied, Father. This is amazing, about downstairs, the kids are singing. Day for old songs, about, so we sing an old song before we go into the teaching, and it says, With my hands lifted up and a mouth filled with praise, with a heart of thanksgiving, I will bless you, O God we just sing that before we go into the teaching. (laughs) Play a chord. With
3: my hands lifted up And a mouth filled with praise With a heart of thanksgiving
2: I will bless you, oh God. Father, we just want to sing that again. And we really mean it from our hearts. It's easy to mean with you. So easy to mean this. doesn't matter where we are in life, eh, Lord. It's so easy to mean this. With
3: my hands lifted up And my mouth filled fill with brain. rain With a heart of
1: thanksgiving
3: I will bless you, O Lord With my hands lifted up And my mouth filled with praise
0: With a heart of thanksgiving
3: And I will bless Thee, O Lord. And I will bless Thee, O Lord. With a heart of thanksgiving,
2: I will bless Thee, O Lord. Father, this um, next chorus is for maybe one or two people. You're so deliberate that you haven't forgotten them. And you say,
3: shame doesn't live here no more. Shame doesn't live here no more. Your word was spoken. Your name brought healing to me.
2: I just want people that are here with shame for things done, for things lived Shame
3: doesn't live here no more Shame doesn't
2: Now, or do you want to sing something else? Yes. Okay, just checking. Okay, yeah. so we continue with what we started last week, Warrior's Way, and so this is the second part. And uh, the recap from last week, I mean, there's so much more that was said, but two of the essentials from last week was, one, that the purpose of warfare in the Old Testament was to uh, preserve the messianic seed. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus, uh, God says, Listen, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And as soon as he said it, from then on, throughout the Old Testament and every s- warfare seen in the Old Testament, every war against Israel, they intend to take out Moses, they intend to take out Jesus, they intend to Um, destroy the Jews uh, in the book of Esther, has been towards one end only and that end is, can we prevent the seed of the woman from being born? Because if the seed of the woman can be prevented from being born, then the head of the serpent will survive. But if the seed of the woman is born, then the head of the serpent will be crushed. It's a very simple equation. So every Old Testament battle was about annihilating the nation, through which the seed of the woman was to come. And then we move to the New Testament because now the seed of the woman is born and his heel will be bruised but he will crush the serpent's head. And so that begins once Christ arrives on the scene, he inaugurates the kingdom, he dies and it looks like Satan is one but it's only a bruising of his heel because he rises from the dead, he ascends and then the New Testament church begins. And that is when a new battle emerges. And this new battle is, can we proclaim the Messianic Kingdom? So there will be, there'll be opposition to the proclamation of the Messianic Kingdom. And that's the New Testament um, battle of warfare. But the battle is not against flesh and blood. In the Old Testament, it was against nations that were actually trying to completely destroy uh, the Jewish nation. But in the New Testament, it is about... Um, principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And they have only one intent. Can we prevent the messianic kingdom from being proclaimed? So all the isms that exist in the world, all the religions that exist in the world, um, is basically an attempt to prevent the messianic kingdom from being proclaimed and from advancing. And yet... We don't walk this with a victim mentality as in the whole world is against us. We walk with the mentality that at the end of the day there will only be one kingdom standing. Any questions on that? That's what we talked about last time. Um, We talked about much more, but that's... Any questions? All good? Okay. So today we look at how God goes about it. So when it comes to Israel's holy war, we take notes from that. So Israel's holy war, and he actually used to call it a holy war. Uh, There were three, it it was usually divided into three phases, and the first one was uh, prep, as in he would prepare them. The second one was presence. He would make sure that they were aware that his presence went with them. And the third was plunder. He'd make sure that there were spoils of war. This was just common to every... Can I have a little more volume, guys? Um, This was common to every war that Israel fought. fought, eh? So first they'd have to... God would take them through a process of preparation. And so before the battle, he would reveal his will. He'd tell them, this is what I want done. I don't want you to touch the Edomites because they... uh, Um, relatives of Esau and I don't want you to attack them. I want you to go through this land but I don't want you to eat and drink. This particular land has the Midianites and the Amalekites provoke hostilities against them and completely destroy them. So there would be a revelation of his will as to how the battle had to be fought. And then he would prepare them spiritually. He would uh, tell them um, the strategy for war. He would say go this way, go around the mulberry bush. When you hear the sound of marching above the trees then begin to attack. Um, ambush them. Or don't worry, this time around I'll just send hailstones. Or, he provokes uh, Joshua to cause, uh, to, to declare what no man has ever declared. Make the sun stand still. This was a spiritual preparation. So there's no going, and so the same motive now applies to us. We don't go into ba- battle without preparation. And so You prep by, um, one, knowing or him revealing his will to you. He reveals his will. and Then he prepares you spiritually, As and this is the strategy uh, I want you to use. And then the other thing he'd demand before people went for battle was he would ask that the camp be purified. Purify the camp. And so that would mean different things at different times. Sometimes it would be you're not to sleep with your spouses for the next three days. Sometimes it would be make sure that uh, the camp is clean from um, anything that in those Old Testament laws were prescribed as unclean. And so there would be this intent of purifying the camp. And today that is um, worked out in terms of walking holy because holiness is so critical to battle. (laughs) Why is holiness critical to battle? Because holiness, um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, Purity is a proof of intimacy and it intimidates the enemy. So there's a direct correlation between authority and purity or morality. So just as he would say in the Old Testament that this is, this is something I want you guys to do, this is something he demanded. he's demanding in the New Testament. Only the demands change. It's no longer some kind of ceremonial cleanliness he's talking about. He's talking about a blazingly pure life that you aspire for, that you work towards. It's, I love the fact that God doesn't say, give me a perfect life. He says, give me a life that desires purity. And then it differs from person to person. I might be here, so... My desire might be as blazing as yours, but I might only make it to this place, while you might have been starting here. But it's this desire for blazing purity. So that is a prep. The presence, God would never send them out into battle without the ark. He would say, take the ark. The ark would lead. Or the singers would lead and the ark would be shortly behind. Or the ark would lead and the singers would be shortly behind. So during the battle, this warrior king called Yahweh would march into the conflict with the Ark of the Presence. They wouldn't go without the Ark, eh? and that's why when the Philistines took the Ark, Israel didn't know what to do. And so the Ark of the Presence would go with them, and uh, even the enemy knew of the Ark of the Presence. And once the Ark of the Presence was there, then you would hear the shout of the king. So without presence, a shout is hollow. With presence, a shout echoes. eh? So once they would know that the ark was in their midst, then the shout would begin. And the shout of the king was Israel recognizing that the king was present among them. And now a shout would go up. This was the same, same shout that would happen in the Philistine camp when Goliath would step out. Every time Goliath would step out, the Philistines would begin a shout, and Israel would tremble. Now it's changed. Now the Ark of the Presence is in their midst and Israel begins to... And this is the same thing that must happen in Victoria when we go there. Last week, uh, I went to Victoria with a, f- uh, a couple of guys and uh, began the process. This week, we'll send some more. Find a place where we can um, actually begin to have church services. First Victoria and then Nanaimo. And uh, it's a short ferry ride an hour and 40 minutes. And you might see seals and orcas. We, God may just throw that in as a bonus. Um, and uh, so uh, we'll work on it this week. But the Ark of the Presence was critical to the, to the battle. And then the third one was, and because of the Ark of Presence, people would say, please, please, can I come, please, can I come? Combatants would register for war. Why? Because this was one of those times where Yahweh could go into battle and come back without anybody being killed. That's another strange thing that would happen with the battle. Israel would go out to battle and come back not one dead. How's that even possible, man? So the Ark of the Presence was critical. And the third one was plunder, where once you went into battle, there had to be rewards. And so after the battle, two things would happen. People would celebrate the victory of the king with songs of praise and they would collect spoils. And In our case, the spoils are the souls of men. In our case, the spoils are the souls of men. So plunder today is souls of men and occasionally uh, wealth from the places we've been to. Both. So one should expect the souls of men is plunder, because those are actually the treasures of darkness. When we talk about the treasures of darkness, people think of some money stashed away. Um, it's not really... Today, the treasures of darkness are the treasure that's most important of God, is the souls of men. And in the bargain, you might get treasures that are specific to a land. So that happens too. Where someone is affected by what you do and decides, okay. I remember, uh, old timers have heard this story, but um, um, we were at a small meeting in uh, in, in, a, in a small city called Solo, S-O-L-O, and in Indonesia. And so uh, there's a man there, and he uh, says, Anne and Elmer were with me. And there's this man who says, uh, can you pray for my business? And so um, I said no, because there's this tendency in Indonesia, whenever a holy man comes through, and it doesn't matter which religion the holy man is from, they'll ask you to pray for your business. So I said no. And so I went back to the hotel, and we're in the hotel, and suddenly feel the Lord saying no. Call that man up and say, you'll pray for his business. So I tell Anne and Elmer, that listen um got to go pray for this man can you guys pray and they said yes and i go tell him that i'll pray for, for your business he says but my business is in jakarta so can you come to jakarta and pray and that's about an hour and a half away and uh, feel god saying say yes so i say yes and so the guy buys me a first class ticket to jakarta and um, uh, puts me up at the ritz in jakarta and I'm saying, Father, what do I say to him? And the Lord says two things. One, you have to say exactly what I tell you to, not a word off, and you've got to say it in the order that I tell you to. And second, he's gonna give you an envelope full of money. And when he does, don't take it. And so the next day, he sends his car to pick me up, and uh, while we're traveling in the car, it's a really fancy BMW. Um, The Lord begins to say, tell him he's an adulterer. And uh, tell him that if he doesn't stop his adultery, I won't have anything to do with him. And I'm telling the Lord, can't you start with something nicer? <laughs> like, this could end prematurely, and I might have to buy my own ticket back home. So, but he was so sure that he... So we get to the business. He calls me, and uh, uh, we begin to talk. And uh, he says, okay, what is the Lord saying? And I say, uh, you're an adulterer, and you've been sleeping around with women, and if you don't stop, then God will not be able to do anything for you and I'm thinking to myself, he'll get really upset, and he is sitting on a sofa, and he uh, gets off the sofa, goes down on his knees, and he starts weeping. Just weeping like crazy, and repents, and then casts out demons out of him, and uh, changes, turns around completely. Within a matter of minutes, say, this guy's on his knees weeping, and then the Lord has words for him, and the words are, one, the Chinese government will give him something to do with fishing, Uh, No, not Chinese, uh, he will fish the South South China Seas. Two, um, someone will come and buy his land from the Middle East. And three, he'll build a monument in his town. These are the three things spoken. And then I finished and he took out an envelope full of US dollars, like $100 bills. And he said, just wanna give you this. And uh, I said, no thank you, and I walked away. And that was in March. I get a call in December, and in December he calls and uh, don't recognize his voice, and uh, he says, uh, you met me at this such and such a place, and then he tells me the story. He says, here's what happened. The Chinese government gave him 52 fishing trawlers to fish the South China Seas. A guy from Dubai came and bought his land, and uh, it had coal, C-O-A-L, and he got millions of dollars for his land. He became so rich that he went and bought a hill and a valley. Not two acres of land. He bought a hill and a valley. And on top of the hill, he built a training school, and in the valley, he built a stadium. And then he said, can you come and uh, do meetings there? For the next six years, every time we did meetings in Indonesia, either to train pastors or to bring churches from that area, he would completely fund it. Six years. Opened up doors like never before. And each time he'd open a door, we'd go meet somebody else, somebody else, and the connections began to spread. Why this prolonged story? Because the spoils of war are real. The spoils of war are real. Not only do you get the souls of men, sometimes the land that you have gone to bless begins to provide for you what is required to further what needs to happen. It's a sheer act of God. You don't go looking for it, you don't go ask for it. Because if you go looking for it, or you go ask for it, then what happens is you now serve the ones you are asking from. Any questions? Spoils of water, really. So, in the New Testament, at Pentecost, Christ forms the church. In the New Testament, at Pentecost, Christ forms the church. And the intent of forming the church is, hey guys, can you advance the kingdom? Can you advance my kingdom? And can you uh, carry out my militant, because there's a militancy to it. It's not some passive, um, hey, when you feel like it. Can you carry out my militant global mission? All three words are super important. It's not passive. It is not form um, a former committee to do it. It is not get a few evangelists to do it. It is not send some missionaries to India. It is a militant global mission, as in, I want you, the church, to get involved in it with a militancy as in an aggression that is uncommon to Christians. A militant global mission. It's one-on-one, but it is also from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. And he says, oh, by the way, you cannot do this on your own. That's why Pentecost has to happen because it is by the power of the Spirit. This is what we hear. Jesus saying in Acts 1.8. He's saying, hey guys, wait so that the Spirit of God can come upon you, so that you'll have the power to witness, and so that you can go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so what's the first act of warfare? And you might think, uh, Jacob, why are you just putting the word warfare every time you're teaching this? Because I'll show you from the scriptures. First act of warfare of the ascended Christ is um, sending the Holy Spirit. Go to Acts chapter two, verse 33 to uh, 35. First act of warfare of the ascended Christ is to send the Spirit. See, this is where it's such a shame that we think the Spirit of God is just for a few gifts or speaking in tongues or feeling good during worship. And yet in Acts chapter 2, verse 33 to 35, here's what it says. It says, um, Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Wait, Acts 2 33. Exalt, uh, yeah. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Even sending the Spirit, the intent is can I dismantle every tyrant that has had the earth in captivity for this long? And can I finally bring my kingdom here on earth and make all things new? And the agent that dismantles and the agent that makes new is the same Holy Spirit. We have to sometimes set aside the idea of the Spirit of God as a dove. It is a symbol. And he did descend. But let's not hold on to that as the only thing he is. Any questions? Okay, so one of the things that Jesus does, and this is where now it gets a little tougher, is um, he sends the Holy Spirit, and then he gives us what is called the Great Commission. Let's call it GC from now on, the Great Commission. And in a sense, the Great Commission is your marching orders From God is our marching orders from God. As in, hey guys, um, I'm declaring war. And I want to show you how the risen king will now triumph over everything. hostile to his reign. So, let's go to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Oops, sorry. Sorry. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So the Great Commission is actually our marching orders. As in, uh, if you were in the U.S. Army and today you get a letter and it says, hey, you are posted to Iraq or you're posted to Afghanistan or you're posted to wherever. Um, and that you open the uh, letter and those are your orders. And now you get ready to go. The Great Commission is the, is our marching orders. We don't think of it like that because it seems so nice. But the Great Commission starts with this... The king declaring that, listen, I am letting you know that I'm going to end the reign of every hostile power that opposes what I want to do. And he starts that off by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What he isn't saying is, I just wrested, W-R-E-S-T-E-D, or took away all authority over every power that exists. I just took it. It is not some kind of passive, ah, by the way, I decided it's time to do evangelism. So if you combine Colossians 1, go to Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 15-ish onwards, Colossians 1, 15-ish, actually not Colossians 1, Ephesians, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, go to the end, and uh, starting at 20, Well, let's start at 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, he's talking about God the Father, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and then seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians um, Let's look at verse 5 to 7, or 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Let's take one more. I don't remember the Philippians. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Verse 8 to 11. Philippians 2, verse 8 to 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of, on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One more. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Um, Verse 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. The point being, when Jesus in Matthew 28, now go to Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Let's start at verse 16. Matthew 28 verse 16. Then the eleven disciples. So sadly, there were twelve and one betrayed him. And so they got to go with eleven now. I mean, what a foolish thing to do. Could have could have been at the start of this glorious thing that Christ was doing, and the guy goes sells Jesus for thirty silver coins. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Crazy, eh? Out of the eleven there, there were people who were still doubting. Then Jesus came to them and said, and now this is, all the scriptures we read goes towards just this one scripture. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's a declaration of, listen, it's done. These powers, these tyrants, these pharaohs, these herods, this Egypt, this Babylon, I'm talking about systems, that has had the world at its feet for years on end, it ends now. Everything that is hostile to my reign ends now. That's why he doesn't start with therefore go and make, he doesn't say go and make disciples. First he establishes his authority. So the Great Commission is your marching orders from a king who has declared war on every other hostile power because he wants what he created back. He wants to make all things new. There is no construction of something without the deconstruction of what already existed. There is no possessing of something till there is a dispossession of what has happened. The Great Commission is basically the overthrow GC is basically the overthrow of ancient powers. The overthrow of ancient powers that have held people in sin and death. Held people in sin and death. That's what the Great Commission is. An end to ancient powers. This is a great commission, and this is not something special for some pastor or some Trinity Western Universities facilitator, or um, someone who graduated from regent. No, this is for everybody sitting here. These are your marching orders. And so you can either say no, or you can be AWOL, or you can um, say I'm too afraid, and you can back up, but we don't have a choice in this. And you can't do this individually. Armies are are made up of individuals. Armies don't fight individually. So the Great Commission is actually a demonstration of the warrior king's authority. Warrior king's authority a demonstration of the warrior king's authority and he's now asserting his power and he's saying hey guys I am sending you to carry out this mission so three parts to it it's a demonstration of his authority so my struggle is do I really believe his authority Why is it still an option to me? This Great Commission thing is optional for us. So, maybe every so often we do it. It's not a militant mindset. It is not that this is what he said before he left the earth. We don't even think of the Holy Spirit as as having come down to the earth to help us fulfill this mandate globally. For us, it's still an option. It's optional. It's not an option. I pray God that it grabs my heart today. So I never consider it an option. I never consider it some kind of program that happens on a Saturday in Wally. So the first thing I have to do is, do I really believe that it is a demonstration of the warrior king's authority saying, listen, I have authority in all heaven and earth. I am the only king. And if you have been someone who's come into this kingdom because you're born again, because I invited you, then I'm asserting my power and I am saying to you that now I'm sending you to carry out this mission. Do you want in or do you want out? This is that Mission Impossible scene that every Mission Impossible opens with. This message will, only this thing doesn't self-destruct. It's been around for 2,000 years, it'll continue to be around. For us, it's different. For us, the tune is. Who is Jesus? No, it's a completely different tune. It's not Jeopardy, man. It is Mission Impossible. You took very long to get that tune. <laughs> Any questions? So this is what Matthew twenty-eight eighteen is about. The first verse, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, is simply about, hey, I'm the warrior king. I am. I have all authority. Do you really belong to me, Jacob? Did I invite you into my kingdom? What do you think I invited you into my kingdom for? I invited you into my rule. I'm here to exert my rule. I'm sending you out on a mission. It's a militant global mission. I've declared war on every hostile thing that exists because I want back what I have created. I have paid the price for it. Are you going to go or is it still an option? That hasn't grabbed me. If it's grabbed you, great. But if it's grabbed you only for a day a week, it still hasn't grabbed you. And then the Great Commission begins to document begins to document um, the command of the warrior king, the instructions of the warrior king. He's a divine warrior because he begins to instruct his people on instruct on how to carry out this mission. How does that work? He says, go, he says, make disciples. He says, baptize, he says, make disciples of all nations. So there's no limit to it. He says, baptize in the name of the triune God. When he says baptize, it means baptize into a body, which then introduces the idea of the church because you go don't get baptized into a name, you get baptized in the name, but you get baptized into something, as in immersed into something. What are you being immersed into? You're being immersed into the body. Then he goes, says, teach them. Um, and he says, but to teach them, you have to be sh- someone who observes and learns. Teach them everything you have observed. <laughs> Observe and learn. And then he says, "Oh, by the way, um, the Ark will be with you," or if you were staff, um, I mean, Empire, uh, Star Wars, the Force is with you, kind of a thing. Where the Ark will be with you, or I will be with you. So it's not like he's going to—he's sending you out on his own. I will be with you. Baptize, uh, triune God. Baptize in the name of the triune God, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he instructs people how to do this. And so in saying baptize, we don't read between the lines. We don't read that he's saying um, that he wants you to baptize people into a body. And when you go to a new place, it means planting a new body. This is a great commission. Any questions? And this is what the entire church was embraced, not a few. Any questions? Jacob, in what
4: part of that would we start encouraging others to do the same? Like would it be in the teaching part or would that be from the get-go? rephrase you your question?
2: Yeah, so um, this is where new believers start. Observe and learn so that you can teach. Observe and learn so that you can make disciples. Because I can uh, remember this be a disciple, be discipled, make disciples. Very simple, be a disciple, but you can't be a disciple till you are discipled once you are discipled, you can make disciples yeah. which the ark everybody else could read it. oh yeah, yeah, thank you. I couldn't read it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Jill. So you talk about being baptized into a body or into a church. Yeah. Isn't that like the body of yeah. Christ rather yeah. than specific, okay, now yeah. you're then, or now you're out. Yeah, you're yeah, 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 you're baptized into the body. But you live out your immersion into a body locally in a, denom- in a uh, small group. Yeah, otherwise you can't live it out. Yeah. So these are the instructions. He's so logical, eh? He's got, got all this sorted out. Jacob, you say be
4: disciple,
2: that means that you need have someone older. Not older, someone who's lived, longer than, uh, lived as a believer longer than you, not older. Yeah. 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 So that is how this works. Any questions, guys? And in the last line, when it comes to the ark, what the king is saying is, hey, I'll promise to battle on your behalf. I'll promise to battle on your behalf. I'm not leaving you um, all on your own. I'll promise to battle on your behalf. For behold, I will be with you, Emmanuel, as in actually present. And this is why an awareness of the presence of God is such a tremendous um, advantage in battle. Such a tremendous advantage. Remember, we said this, it is not that God is not present. What is missing is the awareness of his presence. And it is not God's desire that we have a periodic awareness of his presence. Periodic awareness of his presence was never God's design. And therefore, presence becomes a huge advantage. The advantage Israel had was they had an actual physical box that they would dare not touch, they would not open because they knew what had happened in the past. They knew that those angels that hovered over the box uh, between that was the Shekinah or the mercy or the power of God. They had read stories about how, what would happen every time Moses would be holy. They had something physical to look at. We don't have something to, physical to look at. But my God, if we could only choose to be aware and not settle for periodic awareness, we would become much more than we presently are. I mean, yeah. Sometimes when someone is silent, you you can become even more aware of them. Felix has to learn how to be aware of his wife, who won't be speaking a word till they get back to Houston. But now, when they're going to the airport, he'll have to figure out, is she asking me to carry her bags? Is she asking me to tie her shoelaces? Is she asking me, yeah. Sometimes God wants us to be aware, not by putting a rainbow in the sky, but can you just be aware of me because you like me and I like you? So he promises to be, uh, to do battle on behalf of us until the victory is achieved. That, see, When he says, till the end of the ages, we think, oh, till I die. That's how, we are so highly individualized that when he says, behold, I will be with you till the end of the age, we immediately think, oh, at least he'll be around till I die. No, he's saying, I will be with you till the end of the age, as in I will not stop till what I want is accomplished. And what is that? That there'll be only one kingdom standing and all the other kingdoms of the world will be undone. That is what he's saying. And so we gotta teach our kids this. And so there's a great commission. And one of the things I want us to notice is we usually go for either proclamation or we go for great commission. Very rarely do people combine both. So you have people who proclaim the gospel. Or you have people who understand the Great Commission. Well, very rarely do both of them combine. The Great Commission includes discipling. Proclamation is kerygma or preaching. They both have to combine and they rarely combine. So you have guys gung-ho about preaching. And then you have guys gung-ho about discipling. What if we could combine both? Because one doesn't exist without the other. Because if you only focus on discipling, you disciple people till the cows come home and they just keep getting discipled. Nothing happens. But if you only focus on preaching, then you keep preaching and you don't make disciples. So actually, proclamation is a part of the Great Commission. And it is an essential, critical part of the Great Commission, and it is again an act of war. Because everything about proclamation is what sets people free from hostile powers and brings them into another kingdom. Without proclamation, it does not happen. So let's look at that now. So the church carries out the Great Commission. The church carries out the Great Commission. Going somewhere? The church... Sorry, James, you can go. The church carries out the Great Commission by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. How do you do it? Through missions, through preaching, through ministry, through preaching. Any questions on that before we just briefly examine what the gospel of the kingdom is so that we have a very simple framework? Um, let's. If preaching is one-on-one or preaching is one to 20, mission is when it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth because sometimes everything stays within the people we know. So it has to be both evangelism one-on-one and mission where you send people out of the church in the New Testament did both. It was not one or the other. Uh, ministry it does look like ministry but it could be a few other things too yeah hi guys how are you? any questions guys? So, let's look at what the gospel of the kingdom would then be. So, here are some simple things about the gospel of the kingdom. One, um, the gospel of the kingdom. The moment you were, use the word gospel, you've got to ch- think along the words of good news. It comes from a word called evangelion. I know most of us know this, but I, for those of us who don't, gospel was basically a king when it's child was going to be born, or when he was going to get married, or when he was going to have a birthday, um, like, he would make an announcement. Like, if I say, I have good news for you, come and celebrate my birthday on July 17th, that's Evangelion, good news. So, it's that way. So, the intent, the, the idea of good news came from the word Evangelion, which just means gospel. So, gospel of the kingdom is the good news, and what is the good news? That Jesus Christ who made you, Jesus Christ who made you and loves you, Jesus Christ who made you and loves you is inviting you into his family and into his rule. That's one. It's good news, and what's the good news? Hey, Jesus Christ, Sheldon, Jesus Christ who made you and who loves you is inviting you into his family and into his rule. Because we've made it about inviting Jesus, and I know we've talked about this, but just a refresher, we are not inviting Jesus into our heart. Jesus is inviting us into his kingdom. We've got to change that around, eh? Because we made it invite Jesus into your heart. When Jesus is actually saying, hey, I'm inviting you into a kingdom. Where did that whole idea of inviting Jesus into your heart? I don't know, it was before my time. Ask Mike. Sorry, sorry, Mike. Just, just had to take a shot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Jesus Christ, who made you, loves you, he's inviting you into his family, he's inviting you into his rule. That's what he's actually doing. Uh-huh. And to do that, that's why he says, unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom. He's the one who's doing the inviting. And the second second thing then is, the good news is, there is freedom. From there is freedom, from freedom, from slavery, from your slavery. To sin, if you will. Repent. And acknowledge. That Christ. Died for your sins. This is the second part of the good news. So if you go to Romans 6, Romans six eighteen to 23, Romans 6, 18 to 23, I'm reading from the message, Romans 6, um, uh, 19 to 23. or 17 to 20 but thank god you've started listening to a new master one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom i'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture you can readily recall can't you how at one time the more you did just what you felt like doing not caring about others not caring about god the worse your life became and less freedom you had how much different is it now as you live in god's freedom your life's healed and expansive in holiness As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking, or right living, or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing, nothing you're proud of. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and I've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put-together life right now, with more and more of life on its way. You worked hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death but God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Sometimes the message really gets at it. So, uh, Romans 6, uh, 17 to 23. So there is this, this is the second part of the good news. And the third thing that we have to be aware of is, and this is something Christians are not aware of, so we beat ourselves up really badly. eh? And this is an important part of the thing that we need to be aware of. It is... And these are Jesus' words. It is difficult to enter God's kingdom. He says that in Matthew 7 14. Narrow is the way. It is difficult for people to enter the kingdom of God. We take it on ourselves, eh? When they don't. And it is difficult for people to enter the kingdom of God. Not because not because God requires impossible standards, not because God requires impossible standards, but because, as it says in John three nineteen, people love darkness more than light. And so they don't want to repent. Don't want to repent. don't want to change. We must understand that this is true. So on one hand, there is this. On the other hand, this is the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. So on, this, on one hand, this will save. On the other hand, people do love darkness more than light and some will not repent or change and narrow is the way and it is not easy to enter the kingdom of God. This is why inviting Jesus into your heart is a little easier. Maybe that's why we use that option. These are essentials of the gospel of the kingdom. Tell me if anything needs to be... If any word is not clear. Which one? (laughs) Okay. Let me read it out. My God, tough crowd. (laughs) Okay. Jesus Christ, who made you and loves you, is inviting you into his family and his rule. That's the good news. Second part of the good news is, and this is the gospel of the kingdom, of the good news of the kingdom. Second part is, there's freedom from your slavery to sin if you will repent and acknowledge that Christ died for your sin. That's an essential part of the good news because... The first part is great but how do you do that unless you be born again what does born again look like that's the second part of the good news the third thing we need to understand is it is difficult to enter god's kingdom matthew 7:14 not cause god requires impossible standards but as it says in john 3:19 people love darkness more than light and they don't want to repent and change so Which means those who choose to remain in their sin cannot be a part of the kingdom. Do you wanna give 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 a shot? 1 Corinthians 6. 9 and 10. Reading from the NIV. Those, those who choose to remain in their sin cannot be a part of the kingdom. There's, there's, there are some very definitive things that God says eh, that we can't amend. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Now, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral Once we have this, guys, then we can elaborate on who Christ is, cross, sin, hell, devil, evil, prayer, what kind of prayer, all that we can keep modifying according to the context. All that we can keep modifying. If you meet a Christian, you don't need to go through who Christ is. If you meet a Buddhist, you might have to explain who Christ is. So that is context. Some know about the cross. Some might need a definition of sin. Some might need to know that the devil is real. So all that is contextual, depending on the person you meet. But this is basically the heart of the gospel of the kingdom. Any questions? I would say that if I receive Christ and continue in those things mentioned there, then I... Yeah, yeah. What about... Yeah, the pursuit of holiness is what God desires, but when I begin to deliberately continue in a life of sin and there is no change, then, yeah, one should question one's salvation because Jesus changes us. And remember, Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. So, yeah. I'm someone who really believes that once you receive Christ and Christ lives in you, you are saved. So I'm not in the school of thought that salvation can be lost by me sinning. I used to be so scared of it. I'd get up in the morning and check if my parents were still in bed or the rapture had taken place and I was left behind. Uh, Thank God those days are over Um, because my parents were never in bed, because I always used to wake up late, so it used to frighten you every morning. But then, um, and then the other thing was um, superstores. You were walking with them down one aisle, and you move for a moment to look at the peanut butter, and you come up, and your parents have disappeared. (laughs) Once I even looked to see if their clothes were neatly arranged on the (laughs) bottom aisle, because that's how the movie is portrayed. When you leave, your clothes will be neatly folded and left behind. And you didn't have cell phones those days, huh? so you couldn't even call them saying, are you still here on earth? You're now running from aisle 6 to aisle 7 to aisle 8 to locate whether they've been raptured or not. You have no idea. Some of you are so fortunate that you didn't see Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, and uh, Left Behind. <laughs> we, we older ones bear the scars. <laughs> How I would wish when I put that video in that the thing would get snarled. Never would happen to those videos. Yeah. Um, just going back to what Diana was saying, what did you say to somebody who is, say, dealing with addiction? Yeah. Uh, let's start the journey towards freedom. Yeah. And it might take two years, it might take two days, but it's just it's, it's walking towards. It's when stagnation becomes comfortable that one needs to question but it's this continuous walking towards, yeah. Some addictions may take two years to break, man. Or some addictions may continue, in some cases, for life sometimes. A return and a coming out, and a return and a coming out. Yeah. Thank God those are not the measures, eh? Yeah. Okay, so let's end. Which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Preaching is warfare. Preaching is warfare. Why? Cuz the proclamation of Christ cuz the proclamation of Christ is what rescues captives from powers calls sinners to repent and submit and obey or submit to his rule and renounces their allegiance to enemies. Now you see why it's so difficult, guys. Preaching is warfare because the proclamation of Christ is what rescues captives from powers that Pounce upon them. these are powers that want their life steal, kill and destroy it is the only thing they live for two it is what calls sinners repentance the proclamation of Christ is what causes someone to repent and three oh, it's not mine three it causes people to renounce their allegiance to the enemy Colossians 1.13 transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the dominion of the sun this is why it is, it is, on one hand, this declaration is so difficult. And the more we, the longer we take to do this, the harder it's gonna get, because every system in the world will try and silence this. Yeah. Hate speech is a way of silencing the love of Christ. It will become harder and harder. And that's why there's a new mentality that has to grip this church. So in a sense, both the Great Commission and preaching and evangelism or whatever you call it, call it evangelism or call it mission or call it all these things we've been talking about, requires wartime zeal. What do you mean wartime zeal? the Bible says he wears a breastplate of righteousness. He cloaks himself with zeal. And why is he doing that? The preceding verses in Isaiah say, and I look for someone who could stand in the gap. I look for one righteous man who could stand up for me and begin to speak for me. But no one did. So, he takes it upon himself. He wears a breastplate of righteousness. He wears a helmet of salvation. And he wraps himself in a cloak of zeal. And now he goes forth. What reference is that? Isaiah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Let, let, let's go. Let's go with 57. <laughs> Isaiah 57. So uh, th- this is wartime zeal. Um, uh, Marcus and Laurie may kind of have an idea of what when when India and Pakistan were fighting, we were kids. Eh? I was maybe 14 or 15 or something. But even we were introduced to shouting, um, India victory, Pakistan lose. I don't know how it was in Pakistan, but in India there was this wartime zeal that would consume even 14- and 15-year-old kids who didn't even know where Pakistan was. But there would be this thing that would be, they would try to instigate it. The point being, we don't have that. We don't have that mentality. I certainly don't have that mentality. What I zeal. Clarity on what we are supposed to say. Because at the end of the day, missions, beaten with a single person or with a, a nation, is the primary ground, is the primary battleground, is the primary battleground of the kingdom. That's why a church that does not Practice missions is a monstrosity. So, proclamation is a weapon, demonstration is a weapon, proclamation is a weapon. We'll do the rest later. We'll talk about words and works. We'll talk about Jesus assaulting the kingdom of darkness with words and works, what he's now doing. We'll do all that later. Any questions, guys? Okay, so Um, we need to respond to this. We'll break bread now. And um, can you, yeah. Gotta shed something and wear something else, man. Gotta shed my passivity, shed my option whether this is an option or not, it's not true. You can't talk about war if you don't go into the battlefield, and the last line says that missions is the primary battleground of the kingdom, and you're talking on one-on-one, and you're talking about going to somewhere close as Victoria, or Japan, or wherever. But it's all talk if this is not how we function. Any, any pushback, any feedback, anything you want to say? Monstrosity, no, I wouldn't say that of Acts 29. I'm saying a church that does not have a mission is a monstrosity. Well,
1: it doesn't have a mission, so yeah. that's not necessarily doing all of this, all of this. Okay. Yeah. Your definition of mission is evangelism,
2: right? It is evangelism on a one-on-one level and evangelism on a global level. So when we do it on a global level, we sometimes call it mission. When we do it on a one-on-one level, we call it evangelism. These are exchangeable words, but basically it is taking the evangel or the good news and proclaiming it, and then we go into the commission, which is it's not enough to proclaim it, teach them what you observe, baptize them, build churches, It then begins to spread. So you have to take the great commission, and in that, there is this part of Proclamation, but it has to be done on a militant basis. It has to have this idea of all authority in heaven and earth so is mine, go therefore. So it is not something that I can wear every so often. You go to Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah 4, and you read the last few verses, and you get an idea that this becomes a constant way of living. Nehemiah 4. Um, Verse 21. Thanks, man. Yeah, you can leave it here for now. And then I might call you back to distribute it. Nehemiah 4, verse 21. Uh, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when we went for water. There's this thing of constantly being in this kind of a mindset. Yeah? All righty. So uh, let's read um, Romans 10 before we eat and drink. Romans 10, 13 onwards. Reading from the NIV for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then can they call on one they have not believed in how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard how can they hear without someone preaching to them how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news let's go over it again let me read from the NLT everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved but how how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So here's what we can do, um, as we, um, take off your shoes and let's wear them afresh, eh? Take off your shoes, let's wear them afresh. Some of you have shoes that will be hard to take off and wear afresh. Too bad, you should have thought of it. (laughs) Take off your shoes. We talk about the gospel shoes of peace, right? How beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. This is when people in church think, "Done. I should have washed my socks. Holy feet, stinky feet. Okay, so what are we doing here? We are saying, Father, as we put our shoes back on after we break bread and uh, the cup, we are committing to wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. And uh, this time around, it won't be something that we do occasionally, it becomes a way of functioning. That we understand. This declaration of war on hostile powers. We understand that proclamation will be opposed because it rescues captives, it calls sinners to repentance, and they renounce their allegiance to the enemy. And there will be an opposition against me speaking. And the longer I stay silent, the harder it's going to get in today's cultural matrix. It's going to be very hard. I also realize that not everybody will accept what I'm saying, but I have to take this on now. Both on a one-on-one level and in terms of the Great Commission. Guys, what can happen in Acts 29, this this group of people right now, is we can do a lot of discipling and no proclamation. And what can happen in Wally is a lot of proclamation and no discipling. Both are messed up. Yeah, okay. So on the night he was betrayed, can you imagine the opposition he must have faced that night? Who sweats blood, man? He knows he's going to once and for all put an end to all the hostile powers on in the planet. Every hostile power will now be under his feet. This is the moment since Genesis 3.15. the the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and and the serpent will bruise his heel on the night that the serpent was going to bruise his heel on the night that he was going to crush the serpent's head he took bread he gave thanks and he said this is my body that is broken for you eat this in remembrance of me and when he says, eat this in remembrance of me, he's not saying, just think of me. I said, think and do what I have called you to do, because I've invited you into a kingdom. And you've accepted my invitation. Now he's saying, come, do what I do, yeah? yeah. do you want to distribute the bread? And uh, Tomo, where is Tomo? Come, distribute the bread. Thanks. We we'll eat together, eh? So just hold the bread till it, everybody gets
4: it. <laughs> 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 Du-du-du-du-du. Du-du-du-du-du-du-du. Du-du-du-du-du-du-du. Du-du-du-du. Be free doo do Shekinah glory come,
2: Shekinah glory come. Hey, can you pull up those two songs? Um, the first one was the other song, and then the second one was this song. <laughs> hey. Hey. Be as excited as recruits coming to a boot camp saying, I've decided to sign up. Yeah? It's not a sad occasion. It's a frightening occasion. But it is one of
4: those things where. Thank you.
2: Everyone's got one? (laughs) Hey, so if uh, some of you uh, are thinking, but how come kids are eating this? Because um, um, they're no poorer for eating it. Uh, If anything, it'll bless them. Uh, So the Bible doesn't say, in in the Passover, kids were included too. And if someone is an unbeliever and he eats this, nothing will happen to him. He's going to hell anyways. There's no special hell for... Um, yeah, because that's another thing that happens. No, really. The, the, these are things that we have in mind where if an unbeliever eats it, no, no, no. Uh, you're welcome to participate in everything we are doing, but when it comes to the grace of Christ, no, 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 no. It's, it's not like that. Yeah? And so if kids eat it, uh, it won't harm them. Um, uh, Why keep it a mystery from them? Because in some churches, as soon as a kid touches the thing, you whack the kid saying, not for you. Uh, It's okay if they eat it. Nothing will happen. Passover, the kids used to eat it. In fact, they used to ask the question, so what is this about? Yeah? Okay. We eat it together, yeah. Alright, so Father, we just thank you as we eat this, we remember that you have declared war. (laughs) Today we think of a different, uh, yes we remember you, but we remember that you have declared war and have won. So just as we eat this and we share in your life, we remember John chapter 6, where you said this is the bread from heaven. Many more have to eat it. And so we go, we want to resource people around the earth, we remember what you did Jesus as we eat this now. Um, we asked everyone to take their shoes off, and we'll wear it later, because the shoes are sometimes a sign of preaching the word. Um, g- guys, can we have the cup too? And we'll drink together, guys. You can talk to each other. It's like turning up for a boot camp, saying, what are you signing up for, the Navy or the Air Force or the Army? Yes. Okay. And so... This is like signing up for something, guys. Don't go, don't go silent suddenly. If anything, you should be silent because you're scared of what this means. Thank you. Signing, signing up for Marines. That's when real training starts. Got to shave your head off. Right now, the only one who looks like a Marine is uh, Toonie. Everyone's got one? So Jesus, you said, unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Those who have received you, Jesus Christ as king. Yeah. So Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood for us. By your word and by your blood, we have been born again, made new. You have made us new. That's what you came to do. Behold, I have come to make all things new. Jesus, you have made us new. You've given us brand new spirits. You're changing our minds. One day our bodies will be made new too. Thank you for making us part of your kingdom. So we acknowledge that right now. We drink... We salute you, Jesus. We acknowledge you as Master, as Lord, as Commander, as the Warrior King, as the Warrior King. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have taught you. And behold, I will be with you till the end of the ages. To that King we raise our cups, Father, and we say thank you. Thank you for enlisting us in your service. Thank you for enlisting us in your service. We bless you, Jesus. We look forward to marching with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. So at some point as we sing this song, sing these two songs, put your shoes on, stand up, and sing it as ones that have suddenly found those um, you know, when those Marines are uh, first recruited, they sing those na, uh, na, 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 na. Nah, 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 yeah. We got our own thing. Yeah? That's what we're doing here. Go ahead, Tony. If you already wore them and the song hasn't started, you'll have to take them off again. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, it's okay. <laughs> And in putting on our shoes, we are saying, Father, we are enlisting to have a militant attitude when it comes to both the Great Commission, which is our marching orders, and proclamation, which we will not be afraid of. And would you please provide us opportunities this week to do that? Yeah? Let it be a solemn moment. If you want to go solemn, go solemn now. Just think about the song and at some point wear your shoes. The catch is, if you're not ready and you don't commit, you'll have to leave without your shoes. Sorry, it's not taking us, it's not good.
5: Hear the sound The sound of nations worshipping Hear the sound sons and daughters singing who will go for us God asking the question who will shout to the corners of the earth that Christ One more time. is King hear the sound the sound of the nations worshiping. That's
2: what's going to happen,
1: guys.
5: Hear the sound of sons and daughters, many more to be brought in. Alleluia. Who will go for us? Who will shout? to the corner I- i <laughs> If you have a father, they don't think. They don't know. We will call for you. We will shout to the corners of the earth. (laughs) Yeah! <laughs>
1: If you need prayer, after that, feel free to come up and some sort of little We wait for you. We wait for you.
0: We, we wait, wait for to you.
1: you. To walk, walk in to the you. room. We wait for you. We wait for you. Wait for you. Walk in the room. Here we are. Here we are,
0: standing in your presence. Here we are,
1: standing in your presence. Shekinah, glory, come down. Shekinah, glory, come down. Here we
0: are, standing in your presence. Here we are, standing in, in your presence. presence, Shekinah, glory, come
5: down, Shekinah, glory, come down. Release the fullness of the Spirit.
2: All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says the Christ who is here in our midst. Just hear him again. The Christ who is here in our midst. Says to you and to me, all authority in Vancouver, in Canada, in heaven, and on earth is mine. It has been given to me. Go therefore now and make disciples of all nations, proclaiming the gospel the good news of the kingdom baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that you have learned and I have taught you and as you leave this place now know that Shekinah glory goes with you you are ark carriers I'll be with you I'll be with you, I'll give you the words I'll give you works I'll give you words You're doing this for me. You signed up for this. I'll be with you, Jacob. I'll be with you. Open your mouth and speak. Use your hands and stretch out and heal. I'll be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. You broke bread. You drank from the cup. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will be with you this week. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will help you. I will help you do this. I'll help you have a mindset that thinks like this. I will help you. So we thank you, Father, now. With our shoes on our feet. With our shoes on our feet we go. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Bless you guys. (laughs)